But we're going to come round to the Word of God now. And we are continuing our series in the book of Proverbs. And I hope so far that as we've opened up the book of Proverbs together, that you've been really excited, encouraged and challenged by some of the things that we've been looking at together in this book. So far, as we've opened up Proverbs together, we've looked at what wisdom truly is. We've looked at what the fear of the Lord is all about and how that affects us in our daily lives. We've looked at God's plans and our plans and how they intertwine and they mix together and what they're called to look like. And last week, if you were here or you were watching online, we were talking together about the power of our words. The fact of the matter is that the words that we speak have power. They have power to build people up. They have power to crush people. We have all had words at times spoken over us which have either delighted us or devastated us. And we looked together last week, didn't we, at how that the words we speak can be constructive and build people up or destructive and tear people down. And we looked at how the Bible calls us to use those words. And this morning I want to look at another subject in the book of Proverbs which affects each and every one of us. And probably one of the most poignant topics that we have to deal with because the reality is it's a topic that we deal with every single day. And that topic is the topic of relationships. Now, I can almost guarantee that when I said the word relationships then, some people in the room potentially switched off as soon as they heard that word because they thought to themselves, great, this is a sermon for married people. I don't have to worry about this today. I can just switch off for a while. I can think about what I'm going to eat for the rest of the week and just enjoy 30 minutes peace. Well, the good news is this morning, this isn't a sermon for married people. I mean, this is a sermon for married people. If you are here and you are married, this is a sermon for you. But the fact of the matter is, the subject of relationships is a broader subject than just a romantic notion. We all have relationships, whether that is in the context of marriage, whether that's in the context of a platonic friendship, or whether that's in a family member relationship, or even just I see that person on a Sunday at church kind of relationship. We all have relationships and that's exactly how it was meant to be. The primary purpose for you existing is for relationships. The very reason that you were created was ultimately for a relationship with God first and foremost. And if you don't have that relationship with God first and foremost, let me tell you something today. There will always be a void in your life which you are trying to fill. But secondly, we were created for relationships with one another. That's why God, when he created humanity, uttered the words, it is not good for man to be alone. We were created for God, but we were designed for one another. Whether that's in the gathered community, whether that's in one-on-one relationships, whatever that looks like, we were called to worship God together and fulfill God's plans and purposes for our life in community with one another and in the context of relationship. The problem is that when sin entered the world, however, everything got broken. Our relationship with God became non-existent. In fact, the Bible tells us that actually instead of being God's friends and being in a relationship with God, we became enemies of God. Death entered the world and everything got distorted, including our relationships. And in Genesis chapter 3, what we see is that sin enters the world, and just one chapter on from sin entering the world, the first murder in history takes place, where Cain kills his brother Abel. And ever since then, human relationships have been tarnished 
with sin. We have oppressed one another. We have hurt one another. We've enslaved one another. And as a result, God's original purposes for our interactions with one another, like everything else, became distorted because of our rebellion towards a holy God. But God promised that one day he would send someone who would not only bring restoration to our sin sickness, he would bring restoration to our relationships as well. First and foremost to our relationship with God and then to our relationships with one another. If you're a Christian here in this place today or you're watching online, you are free from your past. Jesus has forgiven you and he has called you to live in a different way. He has given you a clean slate and by the power of the Holy Spirit living within us, he gives us the power to interact and engage with people as he has always called us to do. The issue is, however, we still live in this fallen world. So we still have to negotiate and navigate our relationships with one another in the context of a broken society. And if we're honest, we probably all have some relationships in our lives right now which are perhaps not quite right and not quite as they should be. Perhaps there is brokenness in some relationships you have. Perhaps there is hurt. Perhaps you have been grieved against or sinned against by someone who you consider to be near and dear. Perhaps you're the one who has done the sinning and the grieving against someone else. You know, I've had some really painful relationships in my time particularly in the context of my family. I've told you before that my my mum died when I was 22 years old. Now my dad, my stepdad, who raised me from a young age, is an atheist and doesn't believe in God. But when my mum died, he became very angry with a God he doesn't believe in. Now the problem with being angry with a God that you don't believe in is you can't see a God that you don't believe in, but you can see someone who works for the church. So that anger that my stepdad had towards God ultimately got transferred onto me. And we didn't speak for probably five years. And that wasn't for me not trying. I wrote him letters. We would have big family functions and family gatherings. And I would go up to him and I'd say hello to him. And he would just look at me staring blankly in the face and then walk off because of the brokenness of the relationships. You know, I'm I'm pleased to say that that relationship over the last year or so, maybe two years, has begun to mend itself a little bit. We're not best friends by any stretch of the imagination, but we can be in the same room and we can talk to each other and we can converse with each other again. And you know, in my time at Hope Baptist Church, bearing in mind that out of my three years here so far, two have been in the context of a pandemic where we haven't been able to get together and we haven't been able to converse properly. But in my time here at Hope Baptist Church, there have been many pastoral issues which have come up. But I would say that the biggest issue that people have been involved in over the course of my time here have been in the context of relationship difficulties. The fact of the matter is, relationships are hard but there's some good news today. Because in every relationship that we have, whether that is marriage, whether that is platonic friendship, whether that is family, whatever it might be, we have the opportunity to demonstrate something of the love and the grace and the mercy that Christ has shown to each and every one of us through our actions towards other people, just as much as we do with our words. And Solomon, here in the book of Proverbs, gives us some incredible insight into why relationships dissolve and how that we can repair relationships when they do get a little bit 
funny. I mean, the guy had 700 wives. If anyone has a little bit of insight into what it means to have broken relationships and have difficulty in relationships, surely it is this man. And what I want to do today is I want to look at five key principles from the book of Proverbs that help us to repair and restore broken relationships. Bearing in mind, if we're honest, we all have relationships which aren't quite right at the moment. It will help us also to deal with conflict when it arises, and it will help us to demonstrate something of the love of Christ with those we are in relationship with. And the first principle that I want us to look at this morning is simply this. When relationships get hard, and when we need to do some repair work on our relationships because they have got a bit messy, the first thing that we need to do is learn to react slowly. Proverbs 15 and verse 28 says this, the heart of the righteous person ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. The heart of the righteous person ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. As human beings, we have this incredible ability to be incredibly reactional at times, don't we? If someone says something to us, if someone hurts us, too often our reactions can be like a reflex. Just like when someone hits a note on a keyboard, there's an instant sound which comes out of the keyboard. Too often when we react, we have an instant reaction, and that's when tensions can often arise in relationships. We want to set the record straight. If someone hurts us, we want to retaliate. If someone gossips about us, we want to shut it down. If someone is critical, about us. We want to make sure that everyone knows that what they're saying about us is totally and utterly unjustified. And often, it's our reactions in relationships that elevate tension and tear relationships apart even further. But what Proverbs teaches us is that if we want to form healthy relationships with one another, often there needs to be a delay between the incident and the reaction. You see, what delay does is it helps us to bring some emotional distance to what's going on, whatever that might be. Because the bottom line is, things always look a little bit different from a distance, don't they? Often, in the heat of the moment, where we only see things close up, it's very hard to see the wood through the trees, which is why having distance at times can be important. I'm sure you've noticed it right in your own life. When something has happened in a relationship that you have and you've gone to bed that night and you're thinking, right, when I get up, I'm going to do this, this, this and this because of the way they've treated me and what they have done to me. And you have a night's sleep and suddenly in the morning, things look a little bit different. You don't do what you said you were going to do because you've woken up and you begin to see things from a different angle. Learning not to react instinctively at times often allows us to begin to ponder about the situation and begin to see the situation from another person's perspective. You see, when we react instinctively to a person who has hurt us, we often actually miss what is truly going on in the midst of it. We think we know best. We think that we have all the answers. We think that our reaction is the right one. And what we intend to do at that point is we intend to impose our will on the situation in order to bring about what we think is the right answer. Whereas Proverbs 18 verse 13 says, if one answers before he hears, it is to his folly 
and to his shame. You know, one of the primary causes of relationship breakdown in any context is poor communication. And quick responses are the thing which often stifles that communication because we don't actually hear what is being said to us. And therefore, at times, taking time to respond, not ignoring a situation, but not instantly reacting, not only diffuses those thoughts within us about what we need to do, but it actually helps us to hear what is truly going on. I wonder if there's a situation in your life right now that you are thinking you need to react to right now. The best thing you can do is ponder it, give it to God, and then slowly look for the answer. The second principle that I want to give us this morning as we think about what it means to restore those difficult relationships, to repair things when they get broken, in order to deal with that conflict when it arises, is that we need to be people who resist superiority. Proverbs verse 11 Chapter 11 and verse 12 says this, Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. You know, most of our anger in life is born out of a sense of superiority. Do you see that, I wonder? Because that is the truth. Humans are always trying to show that they are superior to everyone else, mainly because if we're brutally honest, the majority of us fundamentally somewhere are a little bit insecure about ourselves and about our personalities and about who we are. And the root of all sin, all sin comes out of pride. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden, wasn't it, with Adam and Eve. They were enticed by this option that the serpent puts before them to be like God. And what do they do? They grasp at it. And they think, yeah, I don't need God. I can be superior on my own. I can do things my own way, be my own boss. And as a result, they took it. Fundamentally, we all do exactly the same thing. We want to be the people who call the shots. And the thing is, on a deeper level, we know that that's wrong. And as a result, we try to look at times for self-justification. And we try to look for self-justification, don't we, in pointing out the faults that other people have in order really to build ourselves up. We start to say things like, I can't believe they treated me like that. Do they not know what they're doing? We then go a little bit deeper and we get a bit personal and we think, I can't believe they're spending all their money on things like that. How on earth are they getting away with that? I would never behave in such a way. They are so immature, they need to grow up. You see, When we allow a sense of superiority to enter into our relationships, what it does is it begins to fuel our anger towards a particular person or a particular situation, and it makes a rift, which maybe was only a very small rift at start, become incredibly big. So how do we resist, I wonder, superiority when anger begins to rise within us? Well, Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 11 says this, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is to his glory or his wisdom to overlook an offense. Instead of acting in a superior manner, wisdom needs to lead us to overlooking an offense. What does it mean to overlook an offense? First of all, It doesn't mean that we pretend that the offence didn't happen. It doesn't mean that we pretend that what someone has done to us didn't take place. The fact of the matter is, relationships get broken because we hurt each other. 
And that has to be acknowledged. We can't just live by sweeping those things under the carpet. But the word overlook here comes from the Hebrew word, which means to pass over. To pass over an offence is about forgiveness. But it's not about forgiveness for something which has happened to us in the past. It means forgiving people in real time. In other words, what you are doing to me or what you are saying to me is really hurtful right now and it's harmful to me right now and I could fight back. I could fight fire with fire and do exactly what you are doing to me. I could get really mad and take that superior high ground but I'm choosing to overlook it and I'm choosing to forgive you in real time. I'm not going to wait three months. I'm not going to allow this to fester within my spirit. I'm not going to allow myself to become bitter and twisted because of the situation that I face, but I am choosing to lay this down right now because God has something better for me. There may be some here in this room or watching online who in their relationships are being hurt right now. And today you stand on the edge of a choice. Are you going to choose superiority and allow it to fester within you? Allow it to eat away at both you and the relationship you are in? Or are you going to choose to overlook the offence? To reach out in forgiveness, not tomorrow, but in real time. The third thing I believe that we see about how we restore and we mend broken relationships and how we get through difficult situations in relationships is that we need to be a people who release liability. Proverbs 17 and verse 9 says, Whoever covers an offence seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Just like that idea of overlooking an offence, When we're talking about covering an offence, we're not talking, once again, about sweeping it under the carpet and pretending it's not there and just glossing over the cracks. Because Proverbs, the whole book of Proverbs, is about confronting foolishness. It's about realising what real wisdom is and confronting the foolishness that we all find ourselves in. The word cover in this context is similar to when you might go out with a group of friends. And I'm sure maybe you've all been in this kind of situation and scenario. You go out for a nice meal with some friends and you get to the end and you think, well, someone had a 30-ounce steak, but someone else had a salad. So I'm going to sit here and I'm going to add up to make sure that I'm only paying the amount of money that I need to pay for this meal. I am not paying for his steak when I only had something very small. And then someone pipes up in your group and they says, don't worry everyone, I'll cover this. What are they saying? They're not saying, let's do a runner, let's get out of this and let's not pay for it. What they're saying is, I will absorb the cost for everyone's meal. And the word cover means exactly that. It means to absorb. And notice the second line in Proverbs 17, verse 9. I'll read it again. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. That second line is the total opposite of covering the offence. He who repeats a matter separates close friends. And this is what it's talking about. Someone has offended you, 
Someone has wronged you. Someone has done something to you which is not being very nice at all. And everything within you at that point says that this person needs to pay. And the way they're going to pay is I'm going to repeat that action to them. And if I can't do exactly the same to them, I'm going to find another way to make them pay. It's that kind of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth mentality. You do to them what they have done to you. And if you can't, you'll find another way to make them pay. But what Proverbs is encouraging us to do here is instead of repaying, to release. Proverbs 20 and verse 22 says this, Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. Paul quotes this in Romans chapter 12 and he also adds these words, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So how do we become a people who lay down liability? If a person that has hurt you is a Christian, the good news is today that Jesus has died for them. He's already absorbed the vengeance for what they have just done to you. So when a a Christian brother or sister hurts us or does something to us which is not quite right, what we need to do as the injured party is to learn to shift our focus from the offence to the saviour who is the one who has sorted out the offender and died for the offender once and for all. And we do that by thanking God once again for what Jesus has done for us and what Jesus has done for them. And in doing so, over time, it's not easy, but over time it begins to shift our perspective. If the person who has offended you or you're in a relationship with is not a Christian, there will be a day, the Bible says, where God will settle the scores. But that vengeance is his and not ours. So again, When we find ourselves in a place of being hurt because of what other people have done to us, we need to learn to lay that hurt at the foot of the cross, knowing that the person who has hurt us will either one day become a Christian and follow Jesus, or God will repay their acts in eternity. Either way, it's no longer our anger that we have to carry. And by learning to cover the offence in that way, we begin to take on the yoke of Jesus where we read, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I wonder today if there's anyone here in this room or watching online who is currently carrying an offence. You know, I don't want to belittle what you're going through. I don't want to say that that pain that you are facing is not real because it is. You have been hurt and it is not nice at all. But maybe today, Jesus is just calling you to begin to lay that offence at the foot of the cross. It won't be easy. And what you'll probably find yourself doing time after time after time is going back and trying to pick it up again. It's a call to continually lay these things at Jesus' feet. He is the only one who can change our perspective. He is the only one who can change other people's perspective as well. I believe that call today is to cover the offence and lay it once again at the foot of the cross. And here's the thing that we need to remember when we do that. Jesus knows what it's like to be offended. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed by his closest friends. Jesus knows what it's like to have people mock him and beat him and do the unthinkable to him. Today, I want to say, if you are carrying around an offence, Jesus can identify with your pain. And Jesus will walk alongside you and help you be released from it. Number four, in order for our relationships, I guess, in life to truly flourish, 
We need to be a people who learn to respond graciously to one another. Proverbs 25 and 21 to 22 says this, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will be heaping coals on his head. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that particular verse, this idea of heaping coals upon someone's head, I read that and I think to myself, that doesn't sound particularly gracious to me. It almost sounds like a reactional response to something, doesn't it? Right, you've done this to me, so I'm going to do this for you just to make you feel really bad about what you have done. And Paul talks about this particular passage in the context of genuine love in Romans chapter 12. So how on earth can heaping coals on someone's head be genuine love? If the whole idea of lavishing kindness on someone is to make them feel bad. Well, maybe we have got the wrong understanding of what heaping coals upon someone's head is talking about here. One explanation for it is this. In biblical times, when people would carry anything, when they were going out and about, whether that was water, food, whatever, they would carry it on their heads. And when they would carry it on their heads, it would lead their hands to be free to do whatever they needed to do in a busy marketplace. They could get on with their normal lives because their load was carried upon their heads. And in homes... The only source of heat in a person's home at the time was, came from something which was known as a brazier. And this brazier would be used to heat the whole house, and it would also be used to do the cooking in the house as well. And the, the idea was that the fire in this brazier would always be burning. It would never go out. And if the fire in this brazier did go out, a family member would have to pick up the brazier, put it upon their head, and go to a neighbor's house in order to borrow some fire. If the neighbour was generous, they would fill up the brazier with fire in order for the family to be kept warm and to be kept fed. To feed an enemy is like heaping coals, therefore, into the brazier. It's meant for food, it's meant for warmth, it's meant for life itself. Heaping coals, therefore, on someone is not ultimately to pay them back, but to wake them up. Up. It's what we read in Romans chapter 2 when we read that God's kindness towards us is meant to lead us towards repentance. Even though they don't deserve it, we're going to give them life. You know, you may have been in a relationship with someone for years, in whatever context that might be, and you may have been saying these words that person needs to change. They need to change their ways. They cannot carry on acting like they're acting. Let me let you into a little secret this morning if you haven't realized it already. You cannot change anyone. You can try all you like to change a person's bad habits, the way they act and the way they respond to things, but you cannot change them. And if you continue to try, what will end up happening is you'll find yourself getting frustrated, angry, and bitter. But here's what you can do. You can show grace, which will heap coals upon their heads and hopefully lead the person towards repentance and lead a person to the one who can change them, to the only God who can change their situations, their circumstances, and the way that they respond. And in doing so, not only might it change them, but it will probably change you in the process because you'll become more like Jesus. Which brings me to the final point. If we're going to have relationships in our life which flourish, 
If we're going to have relationships that maybe go through tough times at times, but come out the other side as genuine expressions of God's love for us and for this world, we need to be a people who remember mercy. Proverbs 16 and verse 6 says this, By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. There's that concept of the fear of the Lord again. But to turn away from evil, we have to be a people that realize that our sin was atoned for. How? By steadfast love and faithfulness. The bottom line is this, that we were so far away from God and caught up in our own sin that it completely and utterly ruined us. We were left bereft and without hope, with no purpose and no future. But Jesus came. He took the punishment upon himself that each and every one of us deserved. And when he hung on that cross at Calvary and when he cried out those words, it is finished, that was for you. At the cross, Jesus absorbed the penalty. At the cross, Jesus, who is superior, became inferior so that you and I might know life. You are free. You are forgiven. And the measure that that mercy has been shown to you and it's been shown to me is the measure of mercy that we are called to show in the relationships that we are in. I wonder, is there a relationship in your life right now which is requiring attention? Maybe there are some in this room today who are hurt, And actually that hurt is poisoning your soul. This morning, Christ can give you the ability to let go and to release it. And that starts with surrendering our plans and our purposes and giving them over to God. You may have been hurt by someone so badly, but I believe that God wants to give you the ability to rise above it today. He wants to help you to quit living in a bitter and resentful way and find restoration, healing, and hope. Maybe there are some in this room today, and you know that that relationship in your life, whatever context that might be, requires some attention. Have you ever, I wonder, been driving along in your car and you see an engine warning light come on the dashboard? I know all about this in recent weeks because my car dashboard has been like Christmas lights. Honestly, in the last two weeks, I've had to replace my clutch, I've had to replace... Um, something else in my car, I've had to replace the alternator. It's been an absolute nightmare and cost me an absolute bomb because every time I drive it, another light pops up. And I think to myself, oh my goodness, I'm back to the garage again. I need to get a loyalty car from the garage that I'm part of, honestly. But when that happens, we have a choice. We see an engine warning light come on our car and we have a choice because at the time, the car might be feeling like it is all right. And we can think to ourselves, well, I'll just carry on driving and I'll see what happens and I'll take the risk. Or we can say, no, I've got to give this some attention and I've got to do something about this right now. If you choose to carry on, the car might be all right. But eventually, it might completely cut out altogether and all will be lost. But if you choose to give it some attention, ultimately, what you have in terms of your relationships can not only flourish and thrive, but they can be a testimony to other people as well. If you're here today and you're looking at your relationships in your life and you're seeing some issues, it doesn't mean you're a failure. It means that you need to give the attention that God is calling you to give in order to flourish and thrive.
I'm going to invite the band to come back up. I wonder this morning if there's anyone here in this room or watching online who God is saying to you right now, you need to check some engine lights in some of your relationships. There are some things which are not quite right at the moment. Maybe there are some things you need to say sorry for. Maybe there are some offences that you need to cover. Maybe there's some liability that you need to release today. It's at the foot of the cross that we start to do that. I'm going to invite people to stand.